Welcome to Communion House Podcast with Pastor Moses Anderson, a ministry raised by God for the rebirth of the early church, with a strong commitment to seeing others rise and shine as in those days. Get ready for this timely teaching and encouraging word. Welcome to everybody who's joining today's live broadcast. And um, so Tuesday last week, Tuesday last week, uh, we started another series called The Mind or The Winning Mind. Called The Winning Mind. I think the feedback is over now. Praise God. Thank you so much. Um, so we started The Winning Mind series and I, I encouraged us at the end of the broadcast to make sure that we go ahead and listen on again and listen to it again. And the reason why that is important is because I am confident that we will spend quite a bit of time on this particular broadcast. We'll spend quite a bit of time just going deeper and deeper into what it means to have the mind of Christ. And what we were able to do last week was to set the stage for what's ahead, to go to the very, very, very fundamentals of what it means to have a mind so that we can understand and appreciate what it means to have a, the mind of Christ. We delved into the subconscious mind. We went into that reference to the subconscious mind that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, wherein it talks about how the word of God is so powerful that it is the only known instrument that can dissect the subconscious mind. That, that instrument that is so powerful that not only can it reach the subconscious mind, which is the seat of the power of all of our lives, according to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. You know, when the Bible was speaking about the heart in Proverbs chapter 4, it is talking about the subconscious mind. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues or the forces that govern life. And the word of God, as we know it, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is strong and powerful, like a more powerful than any two-edged sword. And that talks about the precision with which it cuts. It is not a one-sided sword that, you know, when you're cutting something with a blade that is only one-sided, there is only so much precision that you can get out of that. But if it is two-sided, all you have to do is go straight and you're making incisions that are perfectly aligned. And that is how the word of God can perfectly operate on the subconscious mind to deliver the results of godly transformation. In fact, the Bible says that not only is the word of God able to go deep into the recess of your heart, into your subconscious mind to access your subconscious mind, it actually can reveal what is in there that may be causing the problems and the issues that you're experiencing in your life. Such issues and strongholds that may be responsible for the holdbacks that you have experienced, backs that you have experienced in your life. And so it is worth celebrating now that we know that the nature of our minds according to the design of the maker, is not hopeless. Even though the Lord himself said that the heart of man, which is the subconscious mind, is deceitful and desperately wicked, that no one knows it. Even though that is said, we know that it is not, an in, it is not indicative of hopelessness in any way, but it is in fact an exposition by the maker himself to get us acquainted with the complexity of our own inner workings. But the complexity declaration or exposition by God is not intended to make us feel powerless, but in fact, it is intended to actually make us aware of what's really going on inside so that we can know how to adequately appreciate the resources that we have in the word of God and not just to appreciate the resources, to appropriately apply those so that we are not unduly surprised by what is coming out from within us. Can I dwell on that just for a little bit? Undue surprises. You and I can relate with that. I've, haven't there been times in your life and in my life wherein we said that this is what we're going to do. 
Oh, you've been invited to a meeting. And you're like, you know what, when I get to that meeting, I'm not going to let anybody upset me. I'm going to keep my cool. In fact, all of what they've said before doesn't bother me anymore. I've let go of it. And yet you get to that meeting and something triggers your emotions. And before you know what's going on, all caution got thrown out the window and the flesh was able to take over and you started to misbehave. You started to get emotional. You started to say things that you said you would no longer say. And then afterwards, you feel bad. You are a husband or you as a husband, you as a wife, you know what I'm talking about. Wherein you've said, you know what, I've been at work all day. I've had enough time to process the things that my wife said. When I get home today, I'm not going to let it be an issue. We're just going to make peace. Everyone's going to be happy. We're going to go to bed and make up and hopefully, you know, just put it behind us. And then somehow on getting home, your wife said something and boom, all of your commitment to peace was out the window and you got emotional and you got emotional and overly expressive, overreacting, whatever, and there is chaos. And afterwards, you feel bad. Afterwards, you're like, oh my goodness, where did, that, where did all that come from? All of that came from your subconscious mind where there were unresolved issues. You see, and that's why the Bible describes the workings of the inner man of the subconscious mind as wicked and desperately wicked at that, simply because it is such wickedness to be exposed like that, to have your own inner workings shame you and surprise you shockingly in such ways. And that is the reason why, folks, it is important for us to first of all admit that by design we are capable of surprising even our own selves. Every one of those times that you have said, I am no longer going to touch that thing or do that thing because I know it isn't pleasing to the Lord. And yet you find your own mind plotting to make it happen. Let me give you an example. I've heard stories of people who have suffered addiction, addiction to this or that. So let's take, for example, addicted to alcohol today, just to use fewer words. And you have said, I am no longer going to do that to myself. I am no longer going to leave work and go drinking when I know that I should go home and have a time of fellowship with my wife and do some Bible study and be the man of God that I know to be a responsible man looking after my household and even looking after my own body that is the temple of the Lord. And yet somehow you find yourself reaching out to somebody who likes to hang out after work. Now, your commitment is you're not going to do that, but somehow, and you're like, I wasn't even planning this, but somehow I, 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 I picked up this person's call and I don't even know why I did it, but look at me, I have ended up in this same situation at this same location about to suffer the same setback in the hands of this addiction. Can you relate with that or do you know someone who's gone through that? Yours may not be alcoholism, but there may be something that you've tried to overcome in the past that keeps surprising you shockingly like that. Can I tell you what's really going on? What's really going on in those instances is that you were being double-minded. Your conscious mind is plotting a thing, but your subconscious mind that has become accustomed to that particular evil habit is not yet reconfigured to do better or to do different. And that is the reason why the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, the same thing applies not just to shunning evil, the same, thing, I mean, the same thing applies not just to the struggles that we have in shunning evil or, the, or, or, or stopping to do the things that we know we shouldn't do, the same thing applies to the struggle of doing the things that we know we ought to do. Okay, so here is the deal, folks. When this subconscious mind has proven itself in our lives and from our experiences that agree with what the word of God says, proving itself to be a beast that could be quite difficult to overcome, a beast that could shame us every now and again, a beast that could steer our lives in directions that we thought to ourselves consciously to be maybe undesirable or to be unprofitable, and yet we find ourselves moving along those lines. 
if that mind proves to be that powerful, then it behoves us, the onus is on us, to seek every means possible to tame that mind, to understand that mind. And if we don't have the power within us to be able to control the dynamo that it is, the power that it wields, then we need to submit to the power that can, which is the word of God. And so after all of that is being said, I would also like to say this, to be able to fully have a connection to what we're saying today, what we said last week, and by the grace of God, what we will say in latter weeks. There is no way on your own as a man that you can... And the prayer will be a prayer of deliverance to clear some of the rubbles that are along the way so that by the time subsequent teachings come in future weeks, you are immediately able to appropriate the principles that I will be sharing with you and the tools that I'm going to be exposing to you from the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to pray. However, before we pray, I want to tell you a little bit more about how the word of God is the only or the most effective solution to making sure that our subconscious mind is calibrated right. Come with me very quickly to the book of Psalms. And I know many of us know this scripture, but then um, from this perspective, you may not have seen it. Okay, but some of us, of course, may have. But if you're saying it for the first time today, I know you're going to appreciate it. So Psalms 119, verse 11. Psalms 119, verse 11. This particular verse of scripture is so power packed. This particular verse of scripture is one that is almost like a computer that helps you to reconfigure this machine that is called the heart of man or the subconscious mind. Let's look at it together. What does it say? It says, your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. So the only way that we can successfully say that we are immune to sin or that we are empowered to overcome temptation is by getting the word of God, not just in our heads, not just upon our lips, but ultimately into that seat of power that is called the subconscious mind. That is the only way. That is the only way that we can get it done. And so you see it clearly written in God's word that you have to get it hidden. Now, the reason why the Bible used the word hid or the translators, the reason why they used the word hid is because the author or the person that the Holy Spirit delivered this principle through or shared this secret through is David. And David has proven from previous writings that he understands that there are various levels in the hearts of a man. That was why he said in Psalms 51 that we looked at last week, wherein he was praying and begging God and says to God, it is in that seat of power that you have hidden or that you have positioned the candle of my spirit with which you search me. So therefore, why don't you begin cleansing me from my inner man? Cleanse me from that inside, from that depth of my soul that is called my subconscious mind. In fact, you know what today? We will begin praying with Psalms 51. We will begin praying with Psalms 51 today because of the fact that as I was seeking the Lord concerning how to progress in this series, this series is very dear to my heart. I know the liberation that I have come to enjoy in my walk with the Lord by understanding how to manage the affairs and the processes of my subconscious mind. You see, being able to progress Enjoying more of the fullness of the grace that is available to you as a believer is very much hinged on understanding that part of you. You know, many of us have been taught that man is a spirit that has a soul and lives 
in the body, which is very sound, which is very great. The thing that I, that I haven't heard many people teach or that I haven't heard much is the actual nature of that soul. That soul across scriptures is being presented to us sometimes as the heart, sometimes as the mind, sometimes just as thoughts. But in reality, how do these three elements come together to make the soul, the thoughts, the mind, and the heart? Because until we are able to get into the granularity of the soul of man, by being able to understand the distinctiveness or the distinction, I should say, between the conscious and the subconscious, we will continue to find many surprises in our lives. We will continue to find many changes and resolutions that we are committed to. We will continue to find them impossible to obtain and to achieve because we are being ignorant of the working of the machine that is on the inside of us. And remember, the biggest problem that we have is not Satan. God said, my people perish, not because of Satan. He said, but my people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish because they do not know as they should. And that was why people like Paul, he dedicated his life and he dedicated significantly his walk with the Lord to knowing as he should know. He said that I may know as I am known, that I may come to comprehend that for which I was apprehended. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He said to have knowledge is very critical to the believer. And therefore... Or having said that, therefore, why wouldn't you as a believer seize the opportunity of such a teaching as this one to ensure that you are better equipped than you've been to be the believer that you should be? So the word of God is the key and we will be breaking it down even more how it applies and how you can apply it. The way you need to start to condition and to recalibrate your mind using the word of God will pretty much be the rest of the series called or the, the this series that we're on that is titled The Winning Mind. But today, folks, we will pray. The Lord's leading me to pray for you. And it is a prayer of deliverance. And why is that important? You see, because the Bible says, and this was Jesus speaking, he said, you do not put new wine into old ship skin or into old wine skin. He said, because if you attempt to put new wine into old wine skin, then what happens is the new wine expands. The, the wine skin is already old. It has no more elasticity or flexibility. So it breaks and you lose the wine skin. And at the same time, you lose the wine. And it is a total loss that in the American legal system is described as a double jeopardy. And God does not want you to be found in such a, a calamity. And that is the reason why Jesus recommends that before you put new wine into a wineskin, ensure that it is also a new wineskin so that it can expand together. And so these new principles, well, new to many, I should say, is meant to also go into a new heart. And someone is saying, well, Brother Moses, I thought the principles that God's leading you to teach are the principles for renewing our hearts so that we can better enjoy the benefits of our subconscious mind and the grace of God. So if we need to pray first to get that new mind, then why do we need to know? Very good question. The answer to the question is this. You see, the new mind that we're talking about, or the reason why we're praying first is because there are certain things that have already attached themselves and allowed themselves to take place or to, to take um, abode in our hearts that will become obstruction to the calibration of our mind that comes with the knowledge of these principles that I want to teach. Does it make sense? So I want you to think about it this way. You have a house and in your house there is a room that is meant to be the kitchen. Now, the configuration of your kitchen is upside down because your faucet is actually not over your sink or your kitchen bowl. Your faucet is right over your stove. So every time you open your faucet, it is 
spewing out water onto your stove, allowing for you not to have fire in your kitchen. Now, the Lord sends you an agent or a repairman or a handyman to help you reconfigure your kitchen. Now, that is what the word of God does. The word of God comes and reconfigures your kitchen. But before this repairman can get to your kitchen, you need to remove the sofa that was blocking access to the kitchen. You need to eliminate any false chefs that may have been cooking in your kitchen. You need to eliminate any rubble that is on the way so that when the repairman comes, he can do his work. So the prayer that we're saying today and the reason why we're taking time out today to pray is because we need to eliminate certain things that have occupied the kitchen of your life, which is what your subconscious mind represents. It is where the flame of your spirit is, according to the book of Psalms, chapter 51. Does it make sense? And so with that said, I would want you to begin to loosen your heart by faith to receive the dividends of the prayer that we're going to say today. Again, it is a prayer of deliverance that the Lord is raising me up to say over you today. And if there's anybody that you want to invite to come along to join us on this journey of the exposition into the winning mind, I would love for you to encourage them not to skip this particular recording. This is the part two in the series. And it is a session that is dedicated to clearing the rubble so that you can now get the full benefit of this powerful, powerful set of principles to help recalibrate your mind according to the word of God. So shall we go and get started? We will go straight to the book of Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51 essentially is one of the most famous prayers in all of human history, one of the most popular passages in the Bible. Now, this is a prayer that we get to appreciate more if we know a little bit about the background to the story. Now, David, the King David, the son of Jesse, was believed, or I mean, not was believed, is known to be a man who's very much after the heart of God. Dave, in fact, God himself was the one who described him so. He said, David is a man after my own heart. And if you look at David, the way that he operated, from the time that he was a youth, he operated in ways that were pleasing to God. Until this particular time in his life, wherein the Bible says, at the time that kings went to war, David decided to stay back, to relent, to relax, and to begin to do things that the neighboring kings did because they felt the absolution of power that corrupts the hearts of men. And because he hadn't really taken time to think about what he was doing. Now, the, the emphasis is think about. You see, the things that we think about are the things that are in our consciousness. But after a series of thoughts over a period of time, those thoughts now go deeper than our consciousness into our subconscious mind and they could constitute a rebellious force to the word of God. And that is the root of disobedience. So David hadn't really thought about it and I'm going to show to us in scripture why how I came to know that he had stopped thinking or he hadn't stopped, I should say, to think about what he was doing. Okay? So David had come to a point wherein he neglected control of his subconscious mind and he found himself committing murder by conspiracy and committing adultery by excessive use of his privilege. Now, I, I wish this was the series, but maybe one day we're going to get to it because most of us live lives that are not in pursuit of holiness because of those two reasons. Excessive use of our privilege. That was why Paul said, shall we continue in grace 
that shall we continue in sin that grace may abound i have that privilege called grace do i excessively exploit that privilege to remain in sin that was one thing that david did and the other one was that he committed murder by conspiracy and how do we do that we typically conspire with satan to deprive others of the life of christ which essentially is murder when you take life from somebody it is murder. And so those are two things that are very common in the lives of believers today. But by the time we understand a little bit more about what David had gone through, what he had made himself subject to, the prayer of remedy that he said, even you and I can begin to apply those in our lives to ensure that our deliverance from past strongholds is complete and is maintained. Our deliverance needs to be complete and maintained jesus's recommendation or the framework that jesus introduced to us for deliverance is a deliverance that needs to be first of all complete and maintained he said when you cast out a demon from a person you make sure that that person's heart is swept clean and when you have achieved that complete evacuation of the demonic spirit and their works then what do you do? You secure the access of your heart so that that demon spirit is unable to return. So you evacuate and you secure. You clean up and you maintain the cleanup. In order to be able to do that successfully, we need to see somebody or take a look at somebody who did that successfully. So I just said all of that to give you a background into um, the story of David or the story of David that we've just looked at gives us a background to this prayer that he said. Now, for those people who may still be a little lost about what I'm talking about, I'm going to take about a minute and a half to give a quick summary of the events around this prayer. So David was supposed to go to war, but he didn't go to war. He was getting complacent. He was getting relaxed. Um, because when you're getting complacent, it is not contentment because content contentment has to be paired with godliness. But when you're feeling content and you're not being godly at the same time, it is the definition of complacency, okay? And that was where he was. He was feeling complacent. And while he was there, he looked out his window on one of those evenings and behold, there was a woman that was bathing uh, within the uh within a close proximity to the window of the king i mean don't ask me why the woman decided of all the places in judah to come in the land of judah the land of judah was a sizable city it was a sizable nation i should actually say of all the places this woman chose to come and she got her bucket of water or whatever it was that she was bathing with with and came to where the king could see her so that story for another day but the king observed this woman and he was like oh wow um i'm the king all things are mine why not let me help myself to this woman he slept with the woman the woman got pregnant he, he didn't want the embarrassment to go beyond that he decided to have the woman's husband brought back from the battlefield so that he can sleep with the wife and then they would say that the man or the the legal husband is the rightful owner of the child but that didn't work out because the man refused to go home and when David saw that the, his little plot did not play out, what he did was he conspired with some other folks in the army to ensure that the guy was sent to the battlefront where it was most intense so that he can be killed. David himself did not draw the sword that was in his sheath. He only used the sword of his mouth to kill that person which is the way we kill one another today by the words that we speak we kill people's spirits we kill their ministry or attempt to kill their ministries by the things that we say and when anybody asks you you're like man i, I didn't touch them i was here minding my business no you weren't minding your business you were causing chaos with your words that did not encourage with the negativity that is coming out of your mouth you are conspiring with satan the prince of this world to kill prophets to bring people down to murder your brothers and sisters just like david did but in any case coming back to the story of david david went ahead to conspire to use the word of his mouth or the sword of his tongue to kill this man called uriah and so David was doing all of that and it was, it was happening one after the other like a well laid out plan. But he didn't think that he, was, that he was doing anything. He didn't even think much about what he was doing. He was trying to mitigate a situation and one led to the other. And you wonder where did all those plans come from? He did it like he's always done it. 
But David wasn't that guy. David was a guy who would fight in the name of the Lord and, and kill whoever was God's enemy, not killing his own brethren. All of that came from his subconscious mind. And when he realized it, he cried unto God. In fact, it took somebody else, a prophet by the name of Nathan, to actually tell David exactly what was going on. He came and let David know that David had left his place, that David was no longer standing guard and watching what was coming out of him. And so when David had gone through that experience and come to the point of realization of what was going on, one of the very first things he said in his prayer was to admit to God that he wasn't thinking. Let us read that together. Now, Psalms 51, and I'm going to open to it. I know it's a passage that many of us can recite by heart, but just for the benefit of those who may not be as conversant, let us read it from scriptures. David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I'm reading from the King James Bible, if you want to know. And according to the multitude, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Okay, so just for the benefit of those people who are confused or wondering why he used the word iniquity, the word transgression, and the word um, sin. What it's really talking about is, you know, I've sinned against you because what you do against God is sin. What you do against uh, yourself is, um, uh, is transgression. What you do against, I mean, what you do against others is transgression. What you do against yourself is iniquity. And so it goes in that order. He was being specific about how he had gone wrong and, you know, it was calibrate or, or, or iterating before God the scope of his misdeed, if you would. Now, verse 3 says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He was saying, wait a minute. I thought that I had transgressed or that I had sinned or that I had wronged this woman by making her have a child or get pregnant. And because I thought the issue was with the woman, I tried to fix it. I tried to cover her shame by arranging for her husband to come, right? And then when the husband came and he didn't do what I said, I figured, well, I gave you an opportunity to make this thing right in some way that does not hurt anybody but then you didn't play along, so we're going to have to take care of you. So basically, David was of the opinion that he would use the authority of the crown to protect the dignity of the crown. So at this point, David was not consciously thinking about the honor of his God. He was thinking about the honor of himself and of the throne. You see what I mean by things that we do that are not our conscious thoughts, but things that are in fact coming out of our subconsciousness? So he was doing all of that without necessarily thinking. So when he came to his senses, the first thing he said was like, God, I was getting it all wrong. Now I know that the real sin is against you. Because you said, I shall not commit adultery. If I had just stopped right there and taken time to obey what you said, none of this would have happened. Does it make sense? So now you see how it is when we allow, when we carelessly allow certain things to go into our subconscious mind without checking what's gone deep within us, it will surprise us shockingly. But it's okay. Because once we come to the realization, we are supposed to do what David did. So the reason why it is important for us to pray is because of the fact that every time that we come to recognize that there is a need for a recalibration, we should ask God to take the lead in the process of fixing the subconscious mind. So let us go on to verse 7. Actually, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. No, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. 
So David was talking about that. It's not just inside of me, but in the inner, inner part of me, which is in my subconscious mind, which is deep in my heart. That is where I need to have your wisdom that directs me. Because if your wisdom is just in my head, when I'm losing my head to the leading of my emotions, there is no way for me to get checked. There is no more, um, uh, what's it called, B barrier to stop me from going over the edge. So David went over the edge simply because there was a disconnect between, between what he knows to be right and what was in his subconscious mind. So he says, God, let us go back there. This is the first thing that I want us to pray about that I want to pray over you today. The thing that I want to pray over you today is this that like David, you would realize that you need to bring it back to God to say, God, I know that things have happened in my life that I felt were not intentional. It wasn't what I was thinking. I didn't mean to hurt that person. I didn't mean what I said. In fact, I, I, it was not my intention to continue to abuse alcohol. I have tried my best possible, and that is the problem. The problem is that I've been doing it on my own. So, Lord, I come to you today because against you have I sinned, and against you I continue to do that evil. So, Lord, I am coming to you today to say, Father, only you can fix me. So, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, as you have raised me up today and put your word in my mouth and given me the scepter of your kingdom, which is the scepter of righteousness, that with the authority that that scepter wields, I will speak deliverance to the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters. So today I declare by that privilege and by that grace that any spirit of ignorance or unbelief that does not allow them to see the need for you, that such will be cast out into outer darkness in the mighty name of Jesus. Let the light of your word penetrate so that the darkness of ignorance will be undone. Let the light of your strength penetrate that each and every one of us may submit to your help and know that we need you. Every attempt that we have made, that we have believed in, that is nothing but our own effort, let it be revealed to us in its futility so that we can come like David to renounce every effort to fix the messes of our lives and embrace the help that you are offering, even that we may come in this realization to say at the throne of grace, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. And Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, as we receive the spirit of humility with which to say these words in prayer, let it be unto us according to your word. Let that divine cleansing begin. Let our hearts begin to submit in fullness to the authority of your saving grace in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm praying for you today and in particular, I am praying for a woman that I am singing in my heart who is singing, but there are still things that I've set into motion that I believe that I need to complete first before I start to go to God and pray. I know certain things that God has told me in the past and I wanna go do those first. I am saying to you today, woman, the enemy lied to you. Those things are the things of your own heart that you want to do. You have convinced yourself that it is God that asked you to do it. It is part of the deceitfulness that we talk about, that God speaks about in his word when he says that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Today, I declare that you would find it within you by the grace of God to stop and give it over to God. To say, you know what, I may have done three out of the five things to make this relationship right. But I still want to continue and do the others. I say to you today in Jesus' name, stop and give it over to the Savior. Because he will take it from here and make it right. It is okay. It is okay to come to realize that you have been operating based on the deceitfulness of your own heart. You have been operating on a righteousness that is made up within you that it is not by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now that you realize it, 
Now that you're hearing it, as prophet Nathan came to David, the Lord has raised me to come to you today to let go and let God, to say this prayer with the whole of your heart and in full submission, Lord, have your way. Lord, cleanse me from the innermost part of my being. Like David said, in my inward part, make me to know wisdom. Make me to surrender to your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer number two is found, as you may expect, in verse seven. In verse seven says, verse seven says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Can we say that together? Father, purge me and I will be clean. Wash me. Let it be your own washing. Let it be you purifying my heart and clearing out whatever rubbles that may be in the way of this fixer that you are sending, which is your word. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are listening today that the memories of the hurt that they have experienced in the past that is still sitting there in their subconscious mind will be washed out today by your own hands. Father, in the modern name of Jesus, I pray that the ways of operation, that the ways of living, the lifestyles that they have approved of that is not healthy, that is not helpful, that the day you will rest it out of their hands for their own salvation, that you will take it away, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, and let there be room for what is coming next, which is the instrumentation of your word for, clarify, for, for, for purification, for cleansing, and for recalibration so that our minds are in line and in tune with the leading of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Now we're about running out of time, but we need to do full justice. And that is the reason why we would say verse 10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The renewing of the steadfast spirit we will come to but for now, I want us to focus on asking God to creating us a clean heart. Like I gave you the analogy of the kitchen. You see, there are certain things that are there that need to be removed. You need to have it washed. But having your heart washed of the filth of, of, of hurtful memories, of unforgiveness, of Ways that you become so accustomed to and confident in that are not of God. Lifestyles that are nothing but conformity to the world. Having your heart cleansed of those things is only one step. It is not all that needs to be done. You see here from scripture that after David said, Lord, cleanse me, wash me, and I will be clean. He then went on to say, now created me a clean and you're wondering, wait a minute, if you've been washed, aren't you supposed to be clean? There is a difference. The first one is cleanliness. The second one is clarity. I can clean your kitchen, but not make it clear enough in terms of access for the word of God to do its work. And so right now, after having received the cleansing, the next prayer is to have strongholds and things that were brought in by the enemy, things that we have allowed to be completely uprooted. So I may clean your kitchen, but there is a cabinet that is in the way that needs to be removed. It is not just enough for things to be clean, they have to be clear. And that was why David said, creating me a clean heart, it means a clear space so that the wind of your spirit can come in. That's why what follows that is a steadfast spirit. I cannot have enough room for the wind of God when I have junk, when I have when I have spiritual furniture in my heart that is not of God. And again, just for the benefit of those people who want to study and go deeper into these things and possibly learn how to say this prayer of deliverance, the furniture of the mind is called knowledge because the Bible says that by understand, by wisdom a house is built, 
By understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, it is filled with all precious things. So the things that I'm asking that God will remove from your heart are false knowledge. The knowledge of the ways of the world that have constituted furniture in your heart, occupying space in your kitchen. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask for the removal of established cultures in our minds that are cultures of the world. Not just personal lifestyles, not just personal methods of doing things, but thus false knowledge that we have acquired and allowed from the world to occupy the seat of power, to occupy our subconscious mind. Supernaturally by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your mercy, let our hearts be genuinely delivered of alien cultures, of worldly mindsets, that we may be ready for this recalibration by your word in the mighty name of Jesus. Folks, that brings us to the end of today's, today's broadcast. Today's broadcast again was a reiteration of some key points that we started with when it comes to defining the mind of man and understanding the role of the subconscious mind in the lives of every one of us, particularly us believers. And then we progress from there by the grace of God to giving an introduction into what the word of God is and how the word of God is the ultimate tool that we need to calibrate our minds. Now I said all of that at the beginning to whet your appetite and to prepare you or to make you appreciate and receive the prayer of deliverance that we just said. This prayer of deliverance is a prayer that I believe has already come into effect in your life, but you have a responsibility to master this prayer yourself so that you can pass on this deliverance, so that you can say it over somebody else. So I want to encourage you, go over this teaching, go over the book of Psalms chapter 51, or maybe even read the background story in, of, of David and how all of that transpired between him, uh, Bathsheba, the woman, Uriah, the husband, and prophet Nathan. And just go over every one of those things on your own so that you can appreciate the difference between the cleansing and the cleansing clearing of your heart. Remember, it begins, first of all, with allowing God to come in by you coming to him in submission and then asking for a cleansing and also asking for a clearing. Those are the things that I prayed for you today. Again, in your life, for those of you that have already heard the prayer and said amen to it, receiving it by faith, I believe you're good to go. But it is still important for you to know it so that you can pass it on, so that you can say that prayer over somebody else. And next week, by the grace of God, this same time, Tuesday next week, 7 p.m., we will be back here to continue the series. And I want to begin the series and just continue from having the steadfast spirit to then going into the principles of applying the word of God to reconfigure your innermost man that you may not sin against God. And what that means is that you would start to live commensurate to the grace that saved you, which means living a life that glorifies God. So thank you once again for joining me today. And I want to thank you in advance for sharing this post with somebody else. Somebody needs to hear that prayer. Somebody needs to also say amen to that prayer and receive their deliverance. So why don't you go ahead and share this with a friend Host a watch party if you're on Facebook. If you're on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and even hit the notification button. You don't want to miss the rest of this series. And lastly, folks, before we go on, I want you to ensure that even you make a commitment to listening to this prayer again. And it will bless you a great deal in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you once again for joining me. It is the pleasure of my life to serve you in this capacity of being a prophet and a teacher. And it is also the privilege of my life to serve along with you, those who are helping to spread this gospel of remembrance. And in particular today, I want to say thank you to my beloved wife who continues to lift me up in prayers and support me in a myriad of ways. My son, Joshua Anderson, who produces this video, Will and Charlotte Holiday, our outreach pastor and his wife, who continue to make sure that our structures for disseminating and sharing these videos and these teachings are intact. And last but not least, least in any way, Chris Ward, 
who helps us to put our podcast together on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple um, Podcasts, and even most recently on Victory 91.5 app. We have all of these many resources made available, not because we like technology just, but because in every way possible, we want to reach everybody with this gospel, with this message of messages of truth that God has given us the responsibility to understand and to proclaim. And so why don't you partner with us in sharing these messages? And for those of you who continue to pray for us, thank you very greatly. And those who give to the work that the Lord is doing here at Communion House, those who tithe to this house, those who give us offerings, I want to say a big thank you to you. You will by no means lose your reward. And if you haven't started supporting us financially and you want to begin doing that today, there is information on the screen that lets you know how you can give. You can give by text. You can write a check payable to Communion House. Such checks can be sent to P.O. Box 384 Suwani. GA30024. If you want to make a check payable to Communion House, that's where to send it to. The address again is P.O. Box 384 GA30024, and that is Suwanee, Georgia. Now, the rest of the giving options are on the screen. You can give by Zelle, by PayPal, and more conveniently, by text. All of that is on the screen, and please let us hear from you. As these teachings are helping to transform the way you view life, the way you see yourself, and the way you see God, even the way you see others, we want to hear from you. I personally will be delighted to hear from you. Why don't you send me a personal email? Straight to my email at pastor at communion.house. The email address is pastor at communion.house. And for now, I alone have access to that email. So if anyone is responding to that email, it is not an associate, it is not a partner, it is me. I'd love to hear from you and we would love to celebrate with you those victories. And if you need prayer, why don't you DM us or just put something in the comment. We would love to get in touch with you and see how we can partner with you in prayers. God bless you once again and thank you for joining. I will see you on Saturday, either in person or live. Thank you for tuning in and we pray this podcast has blessed you today. For more information about this church, check out www.communion.house. That's www.communion.house. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Communion House. Hungry for more life-giving content? Head over to Communion House on YouTube for a full catalogue, live and on demand. We're honoured to have your audience. Wherever you're tuning in from, thank you and God bless you today.